Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, David Rothauser. He is a peace activist. He is a playwright of anti-war plays. Uh, He has taught a course at Newbury College in Massachusetts on war and peace and America in Vietnam. He has a number of plays, and he has a brand new film that we are going to be talking about that I found extremely valuable. It's called Article 9 Comes to America and it was featured recently at the United Nations Non-Proliferation Treaty Conference. David Rothauser, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you. Thank you, David. I appreciate being here. It's great to have you on. I very much enjoyed the film. Uh, historical lessons that I don't think are taught in many history classes in the United States. Let's, let's just start with the basics. What is Article 9? Well, Article 9 uh, was actually uh, a, a, uh, the brainchild of uh, Baron Kijuro Shidehara, who uh, uh, was a peace activist in uh, Japan during uh, the 1920s and 30s, even during the uh, Japanese uh, uh, invasion and occupation of China. And um, he remained a peace activist all during World War II and became uh, prime minister um, in 1945, he made a, uh, a proposal to uh, General Douglas MacArthur uh, to write a peace constitution for Japan. And uh, this was along the same lines of the, uh, uh, the thinking of, of General MacArthur at the time. He was, uh, MacArthur himself was, felt that... Uh, uh, war in the 20th century had become obsolete with the uh, invention and use of uh, the atomic bomb. So uh, he was wide open to this suggestion from Shidihara. So this was in 1947 that the United States... Well, it was, it was finalized in 1947, but the, the process began in 1945. I'm struck by the language of Article 9 in the Japanese Constitution because I wrote a book about a treaty called the Kellogg-Briand Pact uh, yeah. from 1928, which is very much a, a very, very similar language. Uh, and in your film, in fact, one of the people uh, credits, rightly or wrongly, the U.S. peace movement uh, for some role here, which I mean, it seems that you never know where you might succeed or through whom, I mean, through an occupying army of the United States imposing uh, opposition to war on a, on a surrendered nation. I doubt that was what any U.S. peace activists in the 1920s had in mind. It, it was actually a collaboration between uh, Shidihara and other progressive people in the Japanese government uh, to, to, uh, with MacArthur uh, to make this happen. Um, and, and, uh, but ultimately, and, and really interestingly enough, um, it was really the Japanese people, the citizens, who uh, uh, supported this whole thing wholeheartedly and uh, even offered their suggestions on how it, might, it, it should be developed. It was amazing the role they played. 
And, and now Japan, which had previously gone centuries without war before the uh, opening up by the West and the sort of training as a junior partner in imperialism that backfired, uh, now has gone another 70 years uh, without making war, right? Yes, it has. And uh, what I find very interesting about that is that um, uh, until now, many people, popular misconception is that this was a a, a, a United States occupation law imposed upon Japan, but but in fact it was a collaboration. But even more importantly, uh, it's been recently uh, interpreted uh, as a form of apology that is in action, which means uh, the uh, the document uh, is more than something written on paper. It's something that the people practice on a daily basis in Japan and have practiced for 70 years. And and so it could be interpreted as a form of apology. Japan, of course, uh, does not make official apologies very deeply or sincerely, apparently. And and adhered to, if I'm not mistaken, if not absolutely perfectly, more strictly than uh, than in the case of Germany, uh, which has a similar history and a similar uh, a similar culture of of peace since World War II. Yes, that's correct. Uh, uh, Germany has a, a very similar uh, constitution. Uh, however, they uh, do permit the use of combat uh, troops in uh, international uh, situations where uh, the Japanese uh, Article 9 does not uh, permit that at all. David Rothauser, you sent me this timeline of the history of Article 9 up to the present, which is uh, very useful, and it wasn't long. It, 19, by 1950, you know, three years after the finalization of this, that the United States government was saying, nah, never mind, we didn't mean it. That's right. And, and they, they approached Japan and they said, uh, look, we'd like you to drop Article 9. Uh, prior to that, Senator Nixon had said publicly that, uh, and in Tokyo, it said publicly that um, the, the Japanese Constitution was a mistake, and that, uh, and then in by 1950, the U.S. tried to get Japan to drop Article 9 and rearm and go to war with us against uh, North Korea. And the Japanese people and the Japanese government said no, and, and you have a, a, a very interesting quote from Prime Minister Shiguru at, the, at this point. What did, what did he say was decisive here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a couple of things he said was, uh, he said no, he says, we're not going to war. He said, you gave uh, Japanese women the right to vote. They won't let us go to war. <laughs> and, uh, and he was very uh, strong about that, which I think uh, it was a turning point where people could argue that, oh, well, this is an American-imposed constitution. But at that point, when Japan refused to rearm, they took sole responsibility for maintaining Article 9 in their own constitution. Yeah, it, it couldn't be imposed on them when the the imposing power was demanding they retract it, and then they said, "No, we like it. We're keeping it." That's uh, right. <laughs> what uh, What happened next in the 1950s? You mentioned something called the three non-nuclear principles. Uh, what yeah, is the, that? these principles were agreed upon among the Japanese uh, that they would uh, forbid their own nation to possess manufacture or allow nuclear weapons to be introduced into its territory, into Japanese territory. By 1959, the U.S. and Japan governments formed a secret pact to bring nuclear weapons to Japanese harbors 
and it was a direct violation of the three non-nuclear principles. But because it was secret, no one knew about it for quite a while. And, and what happened when they found out? I think there were, there were demonstrations uh, against it uh, in Japan. It didn't, didn't reach a, a uh, crescendo until the late 60s. Uh, but that was, uh, by then, you know, those demonstrations were uh, in opposition to the uh, Japanese involvement in the Vietnam War. Japan has had some troubles with nuclear energy. What about nuclear weapons in Japan now? Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, uh, and this is the, my way of thinking about it. I may be wrong, but... Um, uh, Prime Minister Abe wants to bring Japan to the level of uh, a normal player on the world stage, which means he uh, uh, he's trying to rebuild the Japanese military so they can play a role uh, alongside the United States and uh, in, in defending uh, the U.S. or any other uh, ally uh, in in case of a uh, military. The confrontation um, by if if he is successful in dropping Article Nine and becoming a world player on the a normal player on the world stage, um, he has to compete with the other major industrial normal players on the world stage who are all uh, proponents of nuclear weapons and all have nuclear weapons. Many of them ready to launch. If he then is able to compete or wants to compete with those nations, he must develop nuclear weapons, in my way of thinking. Um, that is going to be a, a tough order, but, uh, but that's what he's faced with. We're speaking with David Rothauser, whose film is called Article 9, Comes to America. I know some in the Japanese government have been on record saying that, uh, that Japan favors nuclear energy because it leaves them so close to having uh, a nuclear weapon, and everyone knows it. But uh, before we come to the present, let's, let's follow the, the timeline the rest of the way up. Uh, what happened when the U.S. went to war in Vietnam and wanted uh, Japan on its side? Well, you know, they were uh, nudging Japan along the way all along from 1950 to drop uh, the peace constitution. And, uh, and in Vietnam, the Japanese government did um, uh, agree to provide U.S. bases uh, on the mainland in Japan and on Okinawa. And uh, that's, that kicked off uh, huge demonstrations by Japanese citizens who marched against these actions. Uh, in Indo in American actions in Indochina in the late 60s. And they formed the, the biggest anti-war movement in their history at that time. Japanese people um, themselves held firm to Article 9, uh, but they, um, the government was, um, was giving way little by little. But, but the United States, uh, in cahoots with the Japanese government, got some secret uh, assistance of some kind and got bases that are still there and expanding. Uh, and uh, and uh, we didn't mention in the, in the 50s, uh, Japan had already developed a big uh, police force, home defense police force, in, instead of uh, a military. So it seems there are, there, it, it's eroding a little bit. There, these baby steps are being taken uh, in the direction of militarism. Yes, exactly. Uh, and yeah, that started in, in the early 50s when uh, J 
Japan settled for a uh, 75,000 home defense police force. Uh, I guess one could argue and say, well, they, they need to protect themselves on in their homeland. Uh, so those that's, that's why they got away with that. Well, some of us argue there are better defenses than violence, and the wisdom in the Japanese constitution embodies that. But... Uh, Next came the Gulf War, and another another little step uh, by the Japanese. Yes, uh, uh, they at that point uh, the first Gulf War, nineteen ninety. Um, uh, there was Japanese military participation in the Gulf War, uh, but they uh, but they not not in a combat situation. Um, and the and the Japanese people uh, held on to their their constitution, uh, but there was uh, uh, supportive uh, supportive uh, military Japanese military in the first Gulf War. It's it's always been a point of contention among resistors to war. Is it acceptable to support a war if you're not in a combat role and so forth? I mean, what did the Japanese public? think of that did they see this as a as a step toward violating their their peace constitution or or it was it was acceptable and uh, not a big deal uh, n- well uh, from from what i've i've learned is that yes they uh, they resisted uh, participating in in it and uh but uh, the relationship between the japanese government and the, and the people is very um uh it's <laughs> It's hard to explain. Uh, Japanese people, by and large, are fairly passive, but they, uh, when they are uh, uh, aroused about their own constitution, it's something that they just they cling to, and they do not give up. So they held firmly to their constitution and would not uh, not permit combat troops to go to uh, the Gulf War. And uh, then came the so-called global war on terror, starting with uh, the U.S. war on uh, U.S. and partners' war on Afghanistan that <laughs> has yet to end. Uh, and and then what step did Japan take? Well, at that point, uh, Prime Minister Koizumi uh, pledged support to the U.S. He said, "We are an ally of the United States, and we should live up to that agreement." And uh, he pledged support, and he made a statement that to the Japanese people, he said, uh, I, uh, by doing this, he said, I want to condition the Japanese people that someday Japan may have to go to war. He, he said that publicly, I'm conditioning yes. you to prepare you to, to accept war. Yes, exactly. Yep. Well, and, and what did they actually contribute uh, thus far to the war in Afghanistan? Uh, they they supported uh, NATO forces, limiting uh, their support to refueling uh, NATO ships in the in basically in the Indian Ocean. So rather a, rather a token gesture in terms yes. of uh, <laughs> enlarging the names on the coalition of the willing. I I would think. Yeah. Um. And then and then Iraq. Then in the uh, two thousand three Iraq War. Uh, Japan served as a repair facility for U.S. aircraft, uh, ships, tanks, and artillery. Uh, so they, on the mainland, they, they, they uh, and on Okinawa, they uh, had repair facilities for uh, damaged ships, uh, aircraft, and so forth. 
Now, if you could take a ship or an aircraft from Iraq to Japan and have it worked on and bring it back to Iraq, uh, first of all, how damaged was it to begin with? Second of all, is it worth the fuel? Uh, third of all, what you know, how how helpful was that? Really, I mean, was this again a, a desire to? to get Japan's name on a list of countries in a coalition, or was this actually a, a, a service to the, to the war effort? Yeah, yeah uh, your, your questions uh, are, are um, uh, very, very uh, pertinent because uh, it, it raises the question just how damaged were these ships, aircraft, tanks, and artillery, uh, especially fighting against uh, an enemy that uh, was, you know, virtually uh, non-existent. Uh, so not too much damage could have happened. Um, I'm not sure what else went on behind the scenes in that agreement with uh, with Japan. Well, it, it all seems like uh, token gestures uh, and minor plays uh, that nonetheless may have been meant to serve and may have served that uh, uh, openly expressed desire to condition the Japanese people for what was coming next, uh, because now we have Prime Minister Abe, uh, who has recently been to, to speak to Congress, uh, and, and Americans got a, a taste of who he is. Uh, what's his position, and what's he trying to do? Well, uh, Prime Minister Abe has uh, openly uh, stated that uh, uh, he wants to uh, reestablish a pride in Japan uh, similar to what they had uh, before World War II, um, where they had a military they could be proud of uh, in the samurai tradition, and they could uh, uh, feel good about themselves, they could protect themselves. Uh, but uh, at the same token, by the same token, he did not want to give up uh, his uh, alliance with the United States. So uh, he 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 never he did not say publicly that they would break uh, their uh, security pact with the U.S. and take on full responsibility for their own security. But um, by building up the military, uh, uh, he is obviously wants to um, be in a uh, an ally with the United States in whatever. Uh, imperialistic uh, ventures or uh, perhaps uh, military operations the United States might um, uh, might envision for their future in Asia and uh, this is fairly clear but uh, not always uh, spoken in public it, 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 Abe seems to have outdone uh, John Yu and Jay Bybee and every lawyer who's ever worked at the Office of Legal Counsel in Washington in terms of his powers of reinterpretation, because at least according to news reports, he's reinterpreting the crystal clear, uh, simple language of Article 9, which forbids war entirely, uh, to mean, he's reinterpreting it to mean that Japan can run around the world participating in wars. How, how is that possible? Uh, that's uh, uh, I'm not sure, uh, to be honest with you, how, how, how that is possible. He, he's getting away with it because he has the full support 
of the uh, of his uh, uh, liberal democratic party in the diet, and so he can pretty much do what he wants within that framework. And and reinterpretation of the Constitution is one thing he he uh, has been able to to force. And uh, it's only been recently that uh, the Japanese people have arisen. Uh, in public to go out and and and, and massively demonstrate uh, against his uh, pushing these uh, these new uh, they're almost laws they're not law yet but pushing these new laws uh, in, into um, uh, in, 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 into the government uh, so but he is right. able to 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 get away with it I think part, partly because uh, he is been very successful in uh, restoring the Japanese economy uh, to a certain level, and people uh, were supportive of him at that point. Right, that's so breaking down now. But but he he his his reinterpretation of existing law isn't isn't a done deal, right? He wants to actually uh, pass a law through the legislature that says the Constitution is hereby reinterpreted to mean black is white, and yes, and that's exactly. where the struggle is is now uh, focused, right? This yes. is this may come to a to a vote relatively soon. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, the, uh, it, it was voted on in the lower house of parliament, and they agreed to it. They passed it. It's now going to the um, upper house that will vote in late so this month, later on in this month. Um, and if they vote against it, it goes back to the lower house, who ha- and Abe has full support of the lower house, and they can automatically pass it into law. Uh, but that's already being challenged by uh, uh, constitutional lawyers from different academic uh, uh, universities uh, as uh, as unconstitutional, and uh, they're, so they're protesting that, working on that. So, so there's a legal challenge. There's also a popular challenge, right? I mean, the the polls suggest, and the and the mass movement suggests, and the uh, and, and as you noted on your. Uh, Timeline. There's uh, the the organizations pushing for maintaining Article Nine have been nominated for a for a Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, there seems to be a, a good deal of public opposition to what Abe is trying to do. Yes, uh, there is. Uh, part of it, it comes from from um, a, a, a housewife, <laughs> a little housewife, uh, Naomi Takasu. Who organized? Uh, she raised uh, something like twenty-seven or twenty-four thousand signatures, which she sh- she submitted to the Nobel Peace Prize Committee um, uh, to uh, have Article Nine uh, as a, as a uh, Nobel Prize uh, to be nominated for the Nobel Prize, and um, it was nomin it was uh, uh, nominated but defeated. And uh, but she's working on it again for uh, this year, uh, 2015. Um, uh, and in addition to that, there's been a a youth movement uh, that was uh, until recently unseen in Japan. Uh, young people, by and large, knew very very little about World War II or Article Nine or any of these events. But now they're awakening and. Uh, uh, one one organization called SEALDS, S-E-A-L-D-S, Students' Emergency Action for Liberal Democracy, 
uh, has taken the uh, uh, the bit, and uh, and they're challenging um, the Abe administration with massive demonstrations in Tokyo and throughout Japan. Yeah, I had a guest on this program some months back who had written a book called The Imperial Cruise uh, about how the United States back in the days of Teddy Roosevelt and earlier uh, had sought to train up Japan as uh, as a militarist force, as an arm of U.S. imperialism in Asia uh, that then had gotten out of control like a Frankenstein monster and wanted to be its own imperial for- force, thank you very much, uh, with, <laughs> with blowback hitting uh, Pearl Harbor and elsewhere. I mean, what, what makes the U.S. government think uh, that things are any different now uh, if it's going to arm and militarize Japan with a U.S. blessing? Uh, what makes it think that a Japanese military would remain loyal to the Pentagon? Well, I, I, I think they've got the uh, uh, backing of uh, Prime Minister Abe uh, and... They've got the uh, security pact, which has been in place for many, many years, um, and uh, Japan doesn't want to uh, go it alone, and they pretty much uh, take their orders from um, from the United States, and, uh, and they're they're happy with that. The government is happy with that. It's a, I make a distinction between the government and the people. So you think that would never change, no matter how big a military Japan builds? That agreement uh, will never change, you say? The Japanese uh, happiness with a sort of subservient role to the United States. Oh, oh, uh, it doesn't appear that will, that it will change. Uh, no, it's a very strong alliance, and um, there's no indication that will change unless uh, the people are successful in their... Um, uh, their move to uh, retain Article Nine and 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 uh, you know forbid Japan from uh, this uh, militaristic alliance with the United States. What what should Americans and others outside of Japan be doing uh, to help? What should we be demanding of our governments, or how should we be uh, contributing to the effort to maintain Article Nine and to uh, and to support Japan as a as a leader against uh, militarism when all of our other governments are are parties to the Kellogg-Briand Pact, which requires the same ban on war? Uh, just nobody knows it. Well, that's 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 the 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 answer right there. Um, most Americans don't know anything about uh, Article Nine or very little about the Japanese Peace Constitution. They know that Japan is a pacifist nation, and that's about it. Uh, I think what we can do is to uh, to help uh, educate the American people uh, to alert them to the fact that. Uh, uh, our military uh, ventures over the past 20, 30-some years uh, lead nowhere, and they lead to nothing but destruction, and uh, and they're counterproductive. And, they, and if we can, little by little, plant seeds, uh, uh, then it, it, in hopes that it will, it, it will bear some fruit, uh, then, you know, that's what we must continue to do on a daily basis. I think if we, we set an example, uh, 
in that way, as such as Article 9 has, is an example for the Japanese people. If we can set an example in our own uh, country, then I think that's, uh, that's a possibility. I, I, I think one, one final thing is that um, uh, if Jap- uh, Japan and the United States uh, are uh, able to overcome these militaristic tendencies and collaborate on Art- with Article 9 in both nations, they can form an international coalition to support the United Nations mandate that was set in 1945 to abolish war making. David Rothauser's film is Article 9 Comes to America. See it, support it. Uh, David, thank you for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David, for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.